Hi, I'm Amy Porter. Some of you know me as a flutist and a classical musician, others as a professor, and some of you know me as a publisher and arranger. I'm a stepmom, I'm a business owner, and I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. And this is my podcast. My core mission as an entrepreneur is to appreciate what I have around me. And then I try and see as clearly as possible how I can help. So let's talk. Let's share information. Let's laugh and sometimes cry over the things that we have to work through in life and in music, in business and family and relationships. Come on into my Porter Flute pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. It's story time with my friend Christopher Caliendo. It's season two, episode 15, and in the pod with us, co producing is Justine Sedke and Alan J. Tomasetti. We'll have stories from behind this composer's inspiration. I've pulled out some flute works that Christopher Caliendo wrote and dedicated to me, and I'm sure you'll find them absolutely vivid with story as the foundation. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. We're so glad you're here. Have you ever wondered about the stories behind the music that a composer brings to us? This music could be personal, it could be an homage, inspiring an inspiration from a place or a person, it could be heard in a dream. I have had the opportunity to premiere countless works and record them, and one composer in my life has never stopped writing music with me in mind, and that's Christopher Caliendo. You know how you meet someone in advance just after hearing them talk in a restaurant? Well, that was me in 2003, Las Vegas. I was eating breakfast in a diner at the hotel. Many flute players were there, we're all hanging out, and I sat down at the counter, and I heard a lot of happy people behind me. They were all so happy to see one person. And this person had a New York accent and a very happy laugh. Somehow, as we all do, we get roped into conversations in the restaurants, and it was then that the stool next to me opened up, and Christopher Caliendo took that stool next to me, and we introduced ourselves. It was his first flute convention, maybe second or third, but he was going to the concerts at this point. And as we all do at conventions, I told him when I was playing and that he was invited. I believe that was the fateful year. I played the Godard Suite, Opus 116, with the orchestra at the Gala Concerto Night. And you guys, the conductor started in four instead of two. Okay, let's sing the Allegretto for a second. Right? And I did not hear that tempo. So guess what? I didn't play. I just kept looking up at the lights, smiling, thinking, this isn't my piece. So I gazed over at the conductor. He stopped the orchestra and he whispered, in two. I just let the conductor bear the brunt of a false start. And that fateful decision on my part made my career. 
From that fateful concert, I was invited to Taiwan. From that fateful concert, Christopher heard me at the at the concert and wrote a piece for me. And guess what? I took it to Taiwan. What a great story of fateful false starts. And it's the beginning of a great American flute sonata story. Let me tell you about the first piece he ever wrote for me. It's his third sonata, the N.C. Wyeth sonata, based on the artist N.C. Wyeth. And I grew up with N.C. Wyeth in my life living in Delaware and southeast Pennsylvania. So that artist was very known to me. This is the movement Youth Trains in Tin Pan Alley. You'll also hear from the second movement, Memory. And the pianist here, Christopher Harding, from my CD, American Art. The next sonata that Christopher wrote for me was called the Ghost Sonata, Sonata Number 8. And it's about the scariest, most famous tales. It's also one of the scariest pieces to play. Here I am playing it with David Gilliland, and it's on YouTube if you need it again. The next sonata that Caliendo wrote for me is the Western Sonata. It's number 11. It's full of the old Wild West flavor from the stagecoach to the prairie. The recording I feature in the podcast is from a recital at the Mobile Chamber Society in Mobile, Alabama. Katie Leung is the pianist. And the most recent sonata that Christopher Caliendo has written is the Spaghetti Western Sonata, Sonata number 13. You can find that performance on YouTube as well. The pianist there with me, Joshua Marzan. As we say in Italy, in Cominciamo da Capo, we start at the beginning, which is Las Vegas, where uh, you know, I was sitting in some provincial, you know, deli, and uh, sat down next to you, I believe, um, and you introduced yourself and said you had a concert forthcoming and invited me to it. I didn't know who you were at the time. I, I was new to the convention, so I went to hear you play, and it was just a, an evangelical moment for me as a composer. I just, I just thought that this was the consummate. American flutist, uh, the best that I've ever heard. Uh, and I, uh, it, what soon followed was a relationship that, you know, no different than the biographies of, of the great composers in the past who uh, politely took advantage of the greatest talent that existed, the greatest performers, you know, Mozart, Beethoven, all of them did it. And I thought, what a marvelous way to meet a marvelous person as well as a performer and create a strategic alliance. And, and I think from a compositional point of view, the flute with all of its dexterity and color and, and, and vicissitudes, it, it really does associate well with my, my compositional ideas and thoughts and the way this brain is wired. And I, I just thought that your execution was just beyond touch. It was just extraordinary. And I, I think in, in all aspects to giving you what you rightly deserve, uh, gratitude and humility and thank you, I, you've helped me increase my compositional abilities because not only I hear unadulterated truth. Whatever I hear, I, I, I say to myself, it has to be able to be performed. And it's not like I choose to write difficult music, but when you meet an executor that can interpret what you have and tell the story of that music so on such a high level of execution, it's a love affair. 
you, you, you don't ever want to let go of this person and you want to continue writing for them and sharing musical stories, right? As well as our personal biographies. It's just been a, it's just been a pleasure ever since that day. I was hired by 20th Century Fox to score The Iron Horse and a number of other films for John Ford in this huge behemoth box set. I was creative director called Ford at Fox. And The Iron Horse was two and a half hours of music, wall-to-wall music, that had to be written in three weeks for a 40-piece orchestra. And it literally tells the story of the Transcontinental Railroad. So 20th Century Fox had sent a crew to interview me and Joe Soldi, my contractor, and a number of the musicians and created this DVD featurette, which is on the DVD. And so unknown to me, the guys are going around <laughs> during a break interviewing all the musicians about Christopher Kelly and doing his music, right? Every one of them, every one of them said, you have to be on your game. He writes difficult music. Except Sheridan Stokes, my dear friend, for so many years in the Hollywood studios, he said, the music was a challenge for the last four days, but it forces you to rise to another level. And I really appreciate that. And I went, thank you, Sheridan. <laughs> thank you so much, you know, for, you know, because there's, there's different ways to look at it. And, um, and, and what you have done outside of the word difficult is take this music and, 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 wrote, and, and allow other musicians to want to purchase the music, look at the music, maybe attempt to play and, and increase their their erudition on the instrument perhaps and i think i think tchaikovsky all the others were no different you look at the volstein the piano sonatas of beethoven they're i imagine they would be considered extraordinarily difficult for their time but this is a man whose nature had to get out of his body and, and you allow my nature to come forth and um i've always thanked you enough i can't stop thanking you for that i i let matter of fact yesterday um, I had this moment, I was working on some financial records and I listened to all 14 flute sonatas in a row. And I just listened to yours and I just, every time you performed, it was like, yeah. I want to tell everyone here what a heart you have because um, you had come out, yeah, John and Barcelona and I had worked on getting the funds for you to come out to California and, and perform. And I remember you wanted to play the third sonata, which was written for you. And I wanted to hear the fourth sonata so bad performed by you because when Marion premiered it in, in Seattle, I flew up. No one recorded it. No one archived it. No one. And it was a fantastic. It was really a wonderful. The pianist, especially so impressed with her pianist. I don't know. I always said, I've, I've got to hear this priest performed and it has to be, you know, a, a consummate player, you know, and you, when you came and you were so generous, you, you, you accepted it. I think a little begrudged, but what a heart, Amy Porter. I mean, and it's it is a it is a Titanic piece. It actually was meant to push, you know, it's, it's the it's the Franck or the Rachmaninoff three, you know, of, of the flute sonatas that I've composed. But uh, God bless you and Brian for doing it. I was watching Thrice Told Tales, uh, a Hammer horror film production, the one based on Dr. Heidegger's experiment, which features the great Vincent Price in a story about, uh, you know, don't fool around with Mother Nature, folks, but it's a macabre story of a woman who's dead in her crypt and a husband who just misses her, can't wait to die till he can join her. And they go into the crypt to just, and they find that this water coming dripping from the caverns, moisture, is an elixir of life. And, it, and she's born again in all of her youth and beauty. And 
the process reverses itself naturally. But they all take advantage of this water and they all become young again. It's, it's a remarkable short story by one of the great writers, Nathaniel Hawthorne. But while I was watching the movie, in the initial, I think it's the theme, I heard the theme and I went, I can do something better than that. Or I, I can take advantage of that. I can, you know, I can use it and, and make it into a whole movement. But, but very difficult to do. Is to, so that was the middle movement, right? But while I was finishing that movement, I remember, I still remember I was at the piano. And the way I work, I, we have a, a, I have a lot of libraries in my home. I have three libraries. And I, I often run to a book that my memory recalls, and I'll pull out a volume and go to a specific page for research. And I thought, gee, why don't I take three, three 19th century horror writers? And, and I love Edgar Allan Poe. And I, I went right to this classic edition. I have a Poe annotated version with pictures by Rumbach in very rare print. And I pulled out the cask of Amontillado and I read the opening paragraph and I, and I, I, hadn't, I had it memorized in my head, but I wanted that reconfirmation with the book in my hand. And I read that opening paragraph and I just, this music just came exploding into my head. And that's when I went to the piano and and I, and I thought it has to be playful. And then it has to turn frenetic because this man is, is playing a dual identity in, 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 in segueing this man into, the, into this wine cellar where he's going to wall him up permanently in this premature burial. <laughs> and, uh, and it's great the way you played it. Uh, and of course, the third movement is, is, is now really being recognized uh, again. And, and you, you, I would love to ask you your story about how you filmed that because, and, and your pianist, whom I know well, um, I work with him when we read Anatomy of Sound. And uh, just just how you were able to play that through performed. I don't think you ever stop. It's all in one take. Yeah. It's so brilliantly executed because his tempo in the third movement is is beautifully gated. It's really, it's, it's never pushed. It's, it never sounds like a thoroughbred with three legs, you know, running amok. It's just a beautiful performance. But anyway, that's a little bit of the story behind that. Uh, I want to write another one. I, I love ghost stories, and I could probably teach a course at it to college. But I'm thinking uh, the pulp era, three early 20th century masters of the macabre, like Arthur Macon, all from London, you know, Algernon Blackwood. But the Willows would be a really great piece of music. Anyway. decided that um, there's a lot of music that I own that I've written for film. Um, and I'll, I started writing Western music through Gerald Immel 
at CBS who was the composer for the theme for Dallas. And I joined that team the last wow. five years of Dallas through Henry Mancini, who was my teacher. And I won Henry's scholarship, which is the reason why I went to California and got a free ride for my MFA at UCLA, where Mancini had the institution and was given the scholarship. So while I was studying for my MFA, Henry brought me to CBS, introduced me to Gerald Immel, who at the time needed another orchestrator. It just was great timing. And of course, Jerry and Henry were friends for years. They were probably two of the at that time, without question, the iconic television composers of their generation. And Jerry uh, had, uh, through his agent, got another primetime television show, Lorimar Productions, which is CBS on the MGM lot. And that was Paradise, starring the very handsome, tall Lee Horsley, and who's a terrific gentleman, by the way. And so I started writing Western music for that show because it was, it was a Western. And I got familiar with all the, the different tools and tricks that composers do for 24-piece orchestras for, at the time, uh, Tommy Hogan, the great, what that guy could do with the juice harp was extraordinary. And, uh, you know, Frank Morocco on, uh, on accordion. So all these sounds started to percolate in my head. And, and composition and orchestration especially is nothing but if pulling these sounds out of your head that you're familiar with. So as I began composing a lot of silent film scores for independence and, and the major studios, I found myself writing, again, a lot of Western music. So I had this large catalog of themes. And I thought, why don't I pick three and put them into a sonata and expand the material? So the second hoedown, interestingly enough, is from A Lady of Chance, the last silent film Norma Shearer starred in before she passed, uh, what they did to bridge silent to talkies was to test your voice to see if it would be applicable for movies that you could hear the audio, the, the, the dialogue. She passed the test, of course, but she was also married to the president of MGM. I can't imagine her failing. But anyway, she started this lovely little tale and it, it's, it's in New York City during the Depression era and, and, and then it goes to Alabama. And in this scene, She's met up by a bunch of gangsters. She, she's, she is a gangster by nature. She's criminal by nature, but she meets the love of her life in Alabama, this cement mixer mogul. And um, she gets involved with these con artists and there's a chase scene and it's in the South and it's, it's a hoedown. So it's not the hoedown you have, but it's, it's elements of it. So I literally just Frankensteined it and recreated and pulled different themes from, from, from that scene and expanded upon them. And that's how that hoedown was written. And Stagecoach, which if you study, if you look at Wikipedia, what a stagecoach is, is basically starts and stops at various points along the trail. So the structure of that movement was in the same way. It was, you know, the movement of the stagecoach, a sudden stop where there's, an, there's a flute solo at acapella, and then the stagecoach begins again until its destination. So that's how the structure of that movement was written out. And then the middle movement, this is a theme that came from a commission from Nick Redman, who is a Academy Award uh, nominated direct documentary director. And we were working on that big Ford at Fox box set. And Nick called me and said, I don't have a budget for the documentary they want me to make for the box set on John Ford's life. Can you put it into the Iron Horse budget? And, and you know, do me a favor and rise. I said, of course, Nick. And Nick got me the job there. So it was 3, 3, 10 in the morning. And typically I hear a lot of music in my sleep. And this theme hit me. And 
I knew instantly. I said, this is John Ford's character. This is the man. And I got out of bed, went to my guitar, wrote it out, waited till seven in the morning. That's when Nick gets up, called Nick, played it for him over the phone, and he went, done. And we went into the studios, and, and part of the Iron Horse sessions, we recorded that theme, John's Ford theme at the time, and I did five variations, uh, quintet, flute, piano, violin, piano, solo guitar, myself. And then when it came around to the middle movement for your sonata, I went, I've always wanted to expand it, you know, because it, when I wrote it as the theme, it was, I don't know, maybe a minute long. It wasn't enough for a movement, right? So I expanded it and um, was really pleased with the results. And, and of course, you, you brought it to justice, you know. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the story behind that sonata. That's prairie with a small p. Prairie, 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 right. And it does make sense because when you look at the documentary, uh, John Ford, an Irish immigrant, loved the prairies. I mean, he was, uh, he loved paradise. Um, what is that called? Pa paradise up in Northern California, where Lee Horsley actually uh, did a lot of his filming for Paradise, the show Paradise for CBS. Um, but yeah, yeah. And then I can't tell you how many people have called me or responded to me or YouTube uh, for that movement. One person bought the Sonata because they just wanted to play that movement, you know. brought you up last week in the podcast it was about spiritual sustenance and I referenced composers who were inspired by source and I said there are living composers like Christopher Caliendo who was commissioned by the Vatican and I spoke about the two commissions and then it becoming the mystic saints so do you have a story for us about being commissioned by the Vatican Oh, sure. I can keep you on the phone for a long time, but... Um, long story short? Yeah, I'll give you two long story shorts. Uh, I was on my way to Milano, um, tr dramatically in love with a woman who was an astrophysicist and a model for Italian Vogue. I, oh, met, her at the, I met her at the Experimental Music Theater um, in San Diego, where she was getting her doctorate in... Um, she had discovered through a Petrinet's computer the first sound, a universe, the sound of a universe, which she discovered, the universe. And she brought the sound of the, of the stars into this Petrinet's computer so we can actually hear what space sounds like. She's a phenomenal person. So I'm going to Italy to meet the parents and do what any, you know, <laughs> any infatuated Italian-American guy wanted to do. So prior to dissension, I'm listening to one of my Dallas scores in my Walkman at the time. And everyone's asleep but me. And this guy from back of the plane sees my light overhead is on. And he sits down next to me. And Italian asks me, you know, what are you listening to? And I said, well, I'm, I'm a composer in Hollywood. And I'm listening to one of my soundtracks. Let me listen, you know. Senti la mia musica. So anyway, I, 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 he puts the headphones on. And he starts yelling out loud because he's got the headphones on. Right? But this music is incredible. I'm going to make you famous. Famous in Rome. 
I've been hearing that all my life. I'm going to make you famous. So anyway, but the guy's name was Giorgio Gallo, and he was the manager of Frank Sinatra, Liza Minnelli, Giant Spectacles. He was also managed Marvin Hagler's career, ex-boxer who turned actor, who just, we just lost Marvin a month ago. He died at 66. Anyway, the point is, things didn't go well for me in Milan, though. This young lady's mother gets to spend time with me, and she says, I see the soul of your mama in your eyes. And for that reason, you can never marry my daughter. I was broken. I mean, just heartbroken. But I was infatuated. And the mother was, what courage it took to say that to me. So it ended up, it ended up not working out. And I called Giorgio. And I take the Stazione Centrale, I go to Rome, and he picks me up, and we go to Via Pagioli, and he puts me up, and then takes me on a, vo on a moped to the Vatican. I'm going to introduce you to Don Vigilio Levi, a Jewish man turned Catholic and is the right-hand man of John Paul II and chooses and commissions all the sculpture, painting, and music for the Vatican. And no American composer has ever been commissioned for the Incontri, the Musica Sacra Contemporanea Festivale, Encounters of Sacred Contemporary Music. So after meeting Don Vigilio Levi behind the Vatican are these, these ancient uffici and you know, climbing up these old, these carved stone steps that still exist, and I meet this little tiny Jewish guy turned Catholic, this powerful cardinal. And I speak in Italian the whole time as a form of honor because Giorgio Gallo, now my manager, is giving me the protocol for these kinds of things. Because I'm, even though I'm Italian-American, my mother's Bolognese and I speak Italian, when I meet Italians, they're not New York Italians. It's a very different culture. But they send me to Rossi, uh, G, uh, 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 Sandro Gindro's home was the director of this festival. And he's a blind man and a revered, revered composer for this festival. So I remember I, I had a cassette. <laughs> I want to sound like a cassette in my hand. And I go and I play the pianoforte. And in the cassette on top of the piano, they hear a quartet I wrote with uh, back in my schooling at UCLA. And... After the music ends, the applause, because the live performance was, was outstanding, and the man slaps the, the tape recorder down, shuts off the tape recorder, his assistant, Rossi. And I thought, oh, my God, he hated the music, right? What am I going to do? So anyway, the point is I left, I go home, and March 5th, 1992, I get this call from the Vatican. Uh, the Pope wants you to be commissioned and to write your brano, your, your, your work, uh, on the on the words and poetry of Saint Teresa of Avila, and that's how I got the commission uh, to go. Um, my second story is shorter, but I'll never forget going. Now I'm flying out, and by the way, oh, I've, I've got two stories that are fantastic. My parents, the Mejinatori, they would not pay for my parents flying out. I said I'm not going. If my mother and father are not coming, I am not going. And because to take to the, the privilege of to take my mother and father back to their to back to that country as a composer is, is out. I'm not letting this go. So I took a cassette of my music and sent it to eight banks in Los Angeles. And one of the banks, first Los Angeles bank, was an Italian bank, like Amedio Giannini started Bank of America. And Maria Stratatola calls me up and says, the president of the bank, Maru Chikini, wants to meet you for lunch in Beverly Hills at this Italian restaurant, his restaurant. He owns it, and he sits there every day, and he eats in a special chair, right? So I drive, and I'll never forget this because I, I get to the door. I get to the front door. It's like being in New York. You either go up or you go down. And I door, open the door, and the steps going up are these two 
beautiful looking Sicilian men, you know, waiters with the with the towels wrapped around, like looking down like at me like this, you know. <laughs> and I said to myself, because I was late, I was like three or four minutes late. I was late. I couldn't find parking, Beverly Hills, nuts. So I go up and they walk me over as if you're the guy who's late for the banker. And I go, and there's this secluded area with those petitions, those little walls, you know? And I come around the wall, and Maria Stratacella stands up. She goes, Maestro Caliendo. I say, Si, sono io. He goes, they present, they, I, I present to you Maru Cicchine, the president of First Los Angeles Bank. This little short guy, and he, he didn't even stand up. He just sat down. And he looks at me, and he goes, in Italian, he says to me, do you know why you're here? So what a strange question. And I don't like asking for money. I, I'm not, you know, I'm very self-made. You know, my, my dad was a Korean War hero, a mailman with, with nine people living in an apartment in Queens. I mean, I don't ask for money. I'm, I go out there, I do it myself. But I have to ask for this guy for money. Do, I know, do you know why I'm here? So I paused, he saw me pause, he goes, do you like the music of Nino Rota? I said, what? I, I said in Italian, the music of Nino Rota is like, is like seeing God. So he goes, I like the music of Nino Rota because it makes me dream. Sit down. So I sit down, and my mother always taught me, if someone takes you out for lunch or dinner, order the cheapest thing in the menu, show respect. So I ordered fettuccine bolognese, the cheapest thing in the menu. So while I'm eating fettuccine bolognese, and the guy has the gall to give me a spoon with my fettuccine, you, and no Bolognese guy in the world would ever eat fettuccine with a spoon. I mean, they would kill you in Italy. It's very unsophisticated. It's like pouring milk in your coffee after 11 o'clock in the morning in Italy. I mean, you don't eat coffee with milk after 11 a.m. So here I am, and he, look, he asked me again, he goes, do you like the music of Ennio Morricone? And I go, oh, this is a trick question. So I'm, going, I'm cataloging in my head. Ennio never wrote for the Philharmonic, but he's a contemporary composer. But, you know, Rota had Leonard Bernstein perform his music in New York. Plus, he's an incredible... And two musical styles are so diverse. I'll go with Nino Rota. You know, not as much as Nino Rota. He goes, you know, I, the music of Ennio Morricone doesn't make me dream. And I go, why? Pass test number two. So I go proceed to finish my fettuccine bolognese. After finishing the fettuccine bolognese, he goes, the, the waiter comes and clears the table, and he, he doesn't speak when the waiter comes. He's cleaning the crumbs or the little thing. And, 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 he, and he goes, do you know what this is? And he whips out of his lapel, very animated, typically Italian, histrionics, right? And he slams this, paper, this, this envelope on the table, and he goes, the music of Christopher Caliendo makes me dream. And two tickets, andare e ritornare, front and back business class for my mom and dad, and that's how I got them to the Vatican. True story. Those are golden years, you know, you're, you're living at the edge, you're 25 years old, you know, you're, you come back to, to America and you're on the cover of the New York Times, the LA Times, and, and, then, and then disaster hit. You know, I, I was told by both Henry Mancini and Steve Binder, the legendary director who was a dear friend of mine, who saw the first two panels performed in costume at UCLA, my alma mater, who put the Mystic Saints up. And in that audience was Steve Binder, who directed Michael Jackson for the, for the Super Bowl halftime special. I mean, this is a legendary director in the Hall of Fame. And Steve says, you have to cultivate this. You have to, we have to put this on St. Peter's Square for the Jubilee year 2000 with Andrea Bocelli, and he hooked me up, Andrea, Annie Lennox of the Eurythmics to sing the Saints. 
And I made the worst mistake of my life, which is a perfect story for people listening. Never use your own money. I spent a tremendous amount of money finishing the Mystic Saints, investing in it, budget producers at 25 grand a pop, uh, trying to get this mounted with PBS. And then the, the Japanese financial crisis came in, Reaganomics came in. I mean, so many things. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I went for the one-line resume, the West Side Story for Christopher Caliendo. And on, on the other hand, I mean, great things happened, but there was a major pivot in my life because in 2000, when I realized it wasn't going to happen, I fled to Utrecht, Holland to mount it there and um, uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral, New York, where there's another, some great stories there about some below-the-line characters that wanted to finance it that I met on Mulberry Street and then trying to, trying to mount it at, at uh, the National Cathedral in Los Angeles with Cardinal Mahoney of all people. Um, didn't happen. And I had to pivot into a new career. And that's that's when I became a commercial banker. I never wanted to make a mistake in wealth management again. And uh, that led to the 2D Academy. I mean, it's all connected. You just you, you just have to remember in life, there's no such thing as failure. There's an axiomatic phrase, you always learn from your failures, but you have to integrate your failures. You have to make sure you turn them into assets because learning is an asset. And failure is a form of learning. It's probably the best form of learning. And I remember having so many self-esteem, you know, from rising to the height of musical compositional success, representing this country for the first time. And um, the nadir, the, 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 the total disappointment of thinking I have something that could be my West Side Story. And to this day is wonderful. And my favorite music I've ever composed is my spiritual music. I wrote a canticle for my son, an hour long, based on seven psalms. And, you know, trying to find a performance of it is another one of these things I have to do before I leave this planet with my son in my lap. You know, I just, it's marvelous music and it needs to be heard. So uh, I, was at the, I was at the cusp of actually getting that in the right hands with the right cathedrals, with the right contemporary progressive nature and musical programming, and then COVID hit. So, you know, setbacks make you strong. You just got to keep standing up and you can't leave. If you're going to leave the planet, leave it saying you tried the hardest. You have such great stories. Well, thank you for for being with me. And I'm going to be with you in 2T Academy. So thank you for including me. I'm so honored. Oh, I have. And I, I, I would like you to know, and I'll even say this live, that, you know, one of the great things about you, Amy, is, is you're a human being. You are proportioned and balanced. And, you know, when I first heard you, it, anybody could say when they meet a consummate artist like that is just so gifted and executes so, so beautifully. No, they got a head in their shoulders. They, they may be a little difficult to deal with. You are such a pleasure to be with and to work with and to, on, on not just music, but just like this, you know. And, and, and it just, it's just a, a part of the process that makes it so, so enjoyable. And I'm hoping that, you and when I when I have the official launch of the academy, the official launch, it's it's open now. But I hope you you are my guest and my partner in joining me in a live, you know, Facebook hour long, you know, just presentation. Let's do it to the academy because I can't think of anyone else I'd rather do it with, you know. And okay. we'll have more stories to tell. Many more stories. Thank you so much for being in Porter Flute Pod. I have so enjoyed it. I love you dearly, you know that. And another Sada Sonata is coming your way. Sonata 15, and we're going to make it the 19th century ghost sonata. And I'll make it accessible. When, am I doing the Kill Bill? 
Is this the Kill Bill Sonata? I think yeah. we, can't, we can't copyright that, but uh, I'm telling no, you. No, we can't. Hey, say, Quentin, Quentin, I got something for you. We need a video. Well, no, it'll be called the Pulp Fiction Sonata. There you go. Porter Productions, Quentin Tarantino, the Pulp Fiction Sonata. I'm music by Christopher Kelly. I know I am in. All right. There it is. <laughs> Listening to Sonata Number no. Thirteen, the Spaghetti Western Sonata. This is the final movement called Presto Spirituoso. I'm playing with pianist Joshua Marzan. It's at our Anatomy of Sound workshop, and you can find it on my YouTube channel. Join us next time in our Porterflute Pod Performance Therapy category, where we'll present to you the auxiliary instruments to the flute: the piccolo, the alto flute, and the bass flute, and help make them less intimidating. We'll talk with piccoloists Erica Peel from the Philadelphia Orchestra and Cynthia Myers from the Boston Symphony Orchestra about how they grew to love the piccolo, as well as I'll share my own stories about playing the alto flute and the piccolo from the symphony orchestra stage to the soloist stage. You can find out more about Christopher Caliendo at ChristopherCaliendo.com. You can find more about me at amyporter.com and porterflute.com. And on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, I'm Porterflute. Thanks for being here. I'm so grateful for you.